Welcome to Radical Personal Finance, a show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My name is Joshua. I am your host. Today I'm struggling with something that I don't generally struggle with, namely how to start a podcast. <laughs> Usually it comes fairly easy to me, but I'm struggling to know how to begin today because uh, the actual topics that I want to talk about are a little fuzzy in my head still. Um, so I don't know what to do other than just begin. So let's talk about where things are right now. I would imagine that uh, if you are anything like me, you're looking around at the world and are concerned about where we go from here. Over the past days, as I have watched the current world events, I have uh, chatted privately with friends and I've just said, where do we go from here? Where's the exit ramp? What's the next thing? Um, and for clarity, of course, I'm recording this on June 4, 2020. And there are three large scale, uh, very impactful circumstances that are in fa- impacting our lives. So, of course, a big one, coronavirus, uh, the worldwide global coronavirus epidemic, pandemic, excuse me, is certainly affecting all of our lives to some degree or another. Now, that effect is markedly different depending on your residence in a place like the United States or Brazil as compared to your residence in a place like uh, New Zealand um, or Singapore. These are very different experiences of the coronavirus pandemic at the moment. But all of us are being impacted by the coronavirus epidemic. The tone that I sense right now with regard to coronavirus is a tone of optimism. The general consensus seems to increasingly be that the actual fatality rate of coronavirus infection is much, much lower than previously feared. Now, that fatality rate varies tremendously in different countries. And as always, uh, the data is never as complete as you would like it to be. But it does seem that we are improving with our ability to handle the the actual sickness that somebody's experiencing and give them better treatments. And the other thing is we have an increasing confidence that there's a higher infection rate than previously assumed. Now, the case fatality rate is still extraordinarily high on a global basis, but that should continue to come down. And yet... I still take the situation very seriously. I still don't want to get coronavirus. I still would prefer to not get it. (laughs) I'm still uh, taking significant precautions, and I think that those are wise, especially for people who are at higher risk. But there is, of course, the coronavirus pandemic. That's one thing that's large and concerning and is going to be with us for a very long time. Now, the second order effects, kind of the second situation that flows naturally from coronavirus is, of course, the economic situation that we're in, which is truly dire. Um, It's truly devastating. It's truly awful. And here again, your experience of this economic crisis varies greatly depending on where you are and at what social class you are. One of the things that I was wrong about a few months ago is I thought that the coronavirus epidemic and the associated lockdowns would flat out destroy 
uh, everything. I, you know, I was in the mindset of kind of global depression <laughs> for many years. And yet, I think that the effects are going to be less severe, less severe than I previously feared. And the basic reason for that is the revolution in telecommunication and the ability for so many of us to telework, uh, to work through an internet connection. That's truly astounding. If we were living in the world of a century ago, where we all needed to be physically present in an office, and if we were facing the kinds of lockdowns and restrictions that so many countries have put in place, then it truly would have been that bad. But many of us, especially many of us who are very high productivity people, can still work through a phone and an internet connection, which is really remarkable. The people who are hurt the most by the lockdowns tend to be those who are overall lower productivity people, people who are working lower income jobs, physical labor jobs, etc. Uh, that's not universally true, but it does seem to be generally true. So much of our work has become knowledge work that now many of us can work from from anywhere in the world, and that has allowed us to stay highly productive. Most professionals that I interact with have continued to be highly productive during their times of isolation. Now, there are legions of businesses that have been hurt, uh, obviously, restaurant businesses, hospitality businesses, airlines, uh, and so it's not right to make a totally wide sweeping statement, but it, but it's less severe than I thought. That said, it is still dire. Uh, best estimates are that currently unemployment in the United States is something like 20%. Um, and of course, that impacts people differently depending on, um, depending on where they actually are in the overall social stratum and in terms of the kind of job that they have. Unfortunately, the people who are hit hard by by unemployment are those who don't make a lot in the first place. But still, with unemployment benefits in the United States, with the extra unemployment benefits, the effects are still somewhat modest uh, for those who were employed. If you were to compare those effects versus, say, um, you know, people living in Mexico or Guatemala who are in lockdowns and who are experiencing massive increases in unemployment just due to the lockdowns, total social lockdowns, and yet they don't have the social safety net, the unemployment payments and the, the generous unemployment payments and the extra unemployment payments, et cetera. Uh, it's just so much more devastating in a country like that than it has been in the United States or Canada or, or the UK. So the economic effects truly are dire, uh, and those are having those are being felt. Uh, news is now that uh, defaults are up, as it would be expected. Uh, late payments are increasing, as would be expected. And I think that there was a lot of hope a few weeks ago that things would get back to normal fairly quickly. Right? There was a lot of hope that everything was looking better and better on coronavirus. People were lifting restrictions, and everything seemed like it was going to um, perhaps be back to back to normal a little bit faster. Which brings us now to the more current events of the social unrest. Uh, especially in the United States, but to some degree around the world. Uh, this is certainly not a global situation of social unrest, although there are some global manifestations with the riots in the wake of the killing in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And as I've been thinking about this, it's so fascinating to consider whether to connect this to the coronavirus epidemic or not. 
I think an honest analysis would have to say that this could properly be characterized as almost a third order effect of the coronavirus epidemic. It's hard for me to imagine that you would be seeing what you're seeing right now on the news or wherever you get your sources of information. It's hard for me to imagine that you'd be seeing that if there were not so much stored up tension related to coronavirus and all of the associated restrictions and lockdowns. It's also interesting to think about if things would be as vigorous in terms of the number of people protesting, the number of people uh, looting and rioting, if there weren't so many economic problems, uh, if people were had more employment. One of the interesting things is that many times when you see protests, you'll often see them, they'll work on the weekend, but if you get to a Monday, uh, people don't exactly have a lot of time to protest. Well, when you pour a, a volatile situation into a world in which uh, people have more time to protest and possibly even more income still coming in because they, hey, I'm unemployed, what else do I have to do? It makes for a very volatile mix. And this situation seems different to me than it has in the past. Um, don't know where we go from here, but things seem different to me than, than it has in the past. Uh, first, of course, although police shootings and police shootings of black people have gained widespread uh, publicity and support in years past, it's certainly never been as widespread as... Uh, as they are right now in terms of the amount of support. And I think that that's got to uh, affect the people involved uh, with the protests, uh, the all of the associated marches and political movements, etc. I think that's got to be, uh, it's going to be a significant effect that will make that um, continue. On the other hand, I think it's tremendously dangerous that the entire movement uh, is very likely going to continue to be co-opted and corrupted by violent elements. And with every day that goes by, it seems as though that the risk of that just rises day by day. And then that means that there will be continuing uh, crackdowns by police, by military officials, etc., to stop the, the, the rioting, to stop the looting, to stop the protesting itself. And doesn't make a good mix, doesn't make for a very peaceful mix. And yet we're stuck with this conundrum that, again, unless you're living in a downtown area or you live in an area where you're actually been targeted by uh, as a protest site, uh, your life outside the window probably looks about normal. And yet your emotional life and your mental life and your social media life and most of those things have been rocked. So it's, it's kind of astonishing because usually you would expect a, a disaster to have external manifestations and yet we're living through a disaster and uh, we're living through a series of disasters and yet none of them are as immediate and none of them are as predictable as, as you might think. You, of course, know that I've been concerned about many of these issues for a very long time. Uh, I'm concerned about, uh, you know, I've been concerned about 
pandemics. Um, I haven't talked a lot about it on the show, but I've done various preparedness shows over the years to try to help people get ready for pandemics. I started talking about quarantine back in January of 2020 here um, to try to help people prepare for that. And the pandemic is, 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 I think, not as bad, again, as previously feared. And yet the second order effects are truly dire. Um, the economic crisis is truly dire. Uh, it's really severe and we haven't really even gotten into many monetary effects right now. There seems to be possibly some mild deflation. There's no evidence of inflation at the moment. Um, the government finances in the United States are, are day by day destroyed by this. Um, but we don't know the actual numbers yet. We don't know the actual figures and we won't for a while. And so this is going to be a very long and slow moving crisis. I still don't expect any kind of, um, you know, I don't expect any kind of Weimar Republic style hyperinflation. I, I, I expect sort of a malaise, but this, this is, this is faster and more difficult than I anticipated, which concerns me because I'm usually pretty, pessimistic on some of this stuff. I try to think of the worst case scenario. And so when real life starts to look like more of a worst case scenario than I, than I imagined, then it's, um, that bothers me, uh, because I always want to think the worst is going to happen. And then of course, hope and prepare for that, hope hope for the best and then prepare for the worst. (laughs) But when situations start getting worse than I anticipated, that bothers me (laughs) quite a bit because I don't like to go down to the depths below that (laughs) of how bad it can get. (laughs) Um, So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where you go. So I'll just tell you kind of, what do you do? What do you do? I feel like a boring host when I talk about what you do because it's the same small set of things that you do. And over the years, as I've thought about a lot of things, I've studied a lot of topics, I've studied various um, doomsday scenarios and considered them. What I find is remarkable is you almost always wind up with about the same set of solutions. About the same set of solutions, regardless of whether somebody is what what particular disaster somebody's concerned about, a pandemic, social unrest, uh, civil war, um, or versus if you what political perspective someone's coming at. Somebody can be a righty, a lefty, uh, a sentry, <laughs> and you wind up with kind of the same set of of solutions. And so, let me just talk through what I'm seeking to do and. Uh, my, my advice for you of what to do at this point in time. So number one, guard your mental health, guard your psychology. If you find yourself um, in an unstable place psychologically, pull back, pull back. Believe it or not, you don't have to respond when someone tells you that you should. You don't have to respond when someone tells you, you have to do this thing. It's always your choice whether to respond or not. And you should only respond to uh, people who you should only respond to things that line up with your personal goals. Uh, and so you need to ca- guard very carefully how you feel and guard your guard your head. Uh, you probably like me have I've lost a lot of time over the last few weeks, you know, glued to the internet, watching everything happening, trying to figure things out. And yet much of that time, um, it's largely unproductive. 
because it gets me into a place where I'm not particularly useful to anybody. It, it encourages me to to move into a place of arguing with people and debating with people, and it's not particularly healthy. And it it harms harms my life, harms your family, harms your health. So guard yourself. Guard guard yourself very carefully. Um, don't let other people control your thoughts. If other people can control your thoughts, they can control your life. And you may be sovereign over nothing else in your life, but you can still be sovereign over your thoughts. You may not be able to control your body. Maybe you're locked in a prison. Um, maybe you're <laughs> disabled, right? You could be a paraplegic sitting in a wheelchair. Um, you may not be able to control anything external to you, but what you can always control is you can always control your thoughts. And yet that's a discipline. It's something that we have to practice. It's something that we have to actively do. And probably most of us are weak in it. I'm certainly weak in it. Uh, I struggle. Uh, I struggle with that. And yet I'm determined to continue focusing on that. So guard your thoughts. Don't let other people manipulate you. Um, don't let other people uh, manipulate your thoughts, manipulate your feelings, and manipulate your actions. Don't be manipulated by other people. Especially don't be manipulated by um, guilt. Somebody tries to guilt you into doing something and they use tactics of guilt on you to try to get you to, to say something or do something that you don't believe is right. Just say no. Um, don't let other people manipulate you. So guard yourself, guard your psychology, focus on what you're building. Let that focus expand out to your family. Uh, one of the most important things for you to guard and to protect is your family life. You must be the sentry at the door to your home that makes sure that the only things that get into the door of your home are things that are wholesome, that are good. Um, people would love to come into your home and control your your environment and f manipulate your family into their chosen course of action. And you've got to stand at the door and, and stop it. And you be the one who decides what's right for your family. And you be the one who moves your family in the right direction. So guard your, guard your, your family, keep peace in your family relationships to the extent it's up to you live at peace with all men, but most importantly in your family relationships, for example, there can be these fourth order effects in my family. We're feeling the strain of the quarantine. Go <laughs> um, back to fourth order effects in a moment. But in my family, we're feeling the strain of the quarantine. And uh, I have nothing to complain about. We've done fine. I don't live in a tiny apartment on the 50th floor of a high rise. You know, we're not cooped up. Um, we have all that we need. We're very, very, very fortunate. And yet still it's frustrating to be locked down and not be able to go places. It's frustrating. And the last few days just realized how much it was building. And, you know, that's my responsibility to adjust that and to relieve that strain, to find ways to, to, to let that, let that pressure go out and kind of bring us back to a place of, of peace. So pay careful attention. And um, fourth order effects, what I was alluding to is you can have, right, coronavirus, there's strain that comes in because you're worried about getting sick or you're worried about your family member who has a, who's susceptible to the symptoms of coronavirus or you're concerned about, um, you know, whatever it is that you're concerned about, you're concerned. And so the stress starts to build in your family. And then um, 
the stress of financial stress it just builds and builds. And then the stress builds with um, social unrest and, and um, you know, concern about the police and, and, you know, just goes on and on. And then finally just boils over and you, you put that stress on your children. And then now all of a sudden now your children are tense and on ease. Uh, uh, and that just, it brings back over on you and it, it causes the whole family to be out of rest. So guard that, guard, guard your, fam- your home, make it a sanctuary, a safe place, a sanctuary where the only things that come in are the things that you've chosen to be there. Financially, um, the steps are pretty simple and it's pretty basic. Uh, I continue to be conservative financially, continue to keep expenses uh, low, continue to keep cash on hand, continue to try to keep and add to the war chest and, and look for investment opportunities, continue to try to keep income strong, continue to try to keep your business going as much as you can. As I have talked about many, many times, when you go through a recession, if you can keep your job and keep your income flowing into your house, your experience of that recession will not be severe. It'll be kind of a, it won't be a big deal in your life. It'll just be a relatively minor thing that you, that you, uh, remember, uh, Okay, there was a recession of 2020. But if you lose your job, then it will be a deeply emotional thing in your life, a deeply difficult, scarring thing in your life. Um, you know, you get kicked out of your house, you get foreclosed on. Um, those Now you get your car repossessed. Now those things become deeper and heavier and much more difficult. So work, work, work to keep your job, to avoid the layoffs, to work really hard. And if you do get laid off... Work hard to get another source of income as quickly as you can. Just be, do everything you can to keep the income coming into your household. Um, look for opportunities to, to grow on it. Uh, I've got a couple of consulting clients that are starting to have some opportunities, some investment opportunities. Um, you know, competitors are starting to go bankrupt. Um, they're starting to get in difficult times. Mismanagement is showing up and there's opportunities to expand their operations. And so, in your business, look around and, and, and see. Keep your feelers out there. One of the most useful and impactful things that you can be doing at all times is cultivating deals, cultivating um, deal flow is what I call it, but just building deal flow. And every business is different in terms of thinking about how you're going to build deal flow. But you got to think to yourself, where are my investment opportunities going to come from? And then how can I cultivate them by cultivating the relationships that would lead to them? Sometimes it's cultivating a relationship with a center of influence. Uh, that center of influence might be a broker. Uh, it could be a financial professional. It could be a bankruptcy attorney. It could be an accountant. Uh, could be somebody who's just connected, you know, the person who leads the local um, business networking group or something like that. But sometimes it's cultivating a center of influence. Sometimes it's building friendly relationships with your your collaborators or your competitors or or joining and and finding out. But you've got to sit down and analyze your business and say, where's the deal flow going to come from? How am I going to be aware of the investment opportunities? That's how I talk about it in terms of businesses, if you're going to invest into an actively managed business. But it's no different um, in any other kind of investment. If you're looking at real estate, you've got to start to cultivate that real estate deal flow. Where are you going to find the properties? Are they going to show up on a, on a listing uh, website? Is it going to come from... Um, you know, finding out from a family member, how are you going to cultivate that? If you're investing into paper assets, stocks, um, you got to ask yourself, what's, where are my areas? What am I watching? How am I going to judge these things? So be working on your deal flow because 
There may have already been deals. Um, there may be more deals coming. Uh, so if your investment strategy involves um, you know, anything other than dollar cost averaging into a mutual fund, be thinking carefully about your, uh, your deal flow. If you're dollar cost averaging into a mutual fund, good for you. <laughs> I think it's pretty remarkable to see the, the changes in the stock market over the past months uh, and to see where we are. It's, it's certainly head-scratching, I think, for most of us. Um, it's head-scratching, uh, but you can see it there. See the, the difficulty of predicting market momentum, uh, broadly speaking. Uh, so uh, it's, a, it's an interesting time to be an investor. What else? Um, I think that you see now more than ever the importance of, uh, of physical preparedness. Uh, I expected the risk of violence to increase over the course of a pandemic. Usually when you have economic unrest and economic difficulties, you usually will have increased risks of violence, increasing crime rates, etc. I didn't expect... Um, that the cause of those things, I didn't anticipate that the cause would be a, a police killing um, or a couple of killings, I guess. But uh, but certainly that's as reasonable as anything else in terms of a cause. Uh, and so good preparation still comes into play. I think one of the most important things to learn from the current emergencies and the current disasters is simply how disasters can build one on top of another. Uh, and this is, I think, common example. Um, <clears throat> hurricanes, right? Hurricane comes through town, blows some trees down. Well, it's, it's bad, but it's not terrible. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> what makes the hurricane terrible is when you're out cutting trees down after the hurricane and trying to clean up your yard and you saw your leg off with a, a chainsaw and now you can't go to work the next day. That's what makes the hurricane really, really terrible. It's the, the, the combination. And usually that's only the case for a small number of people. But what you see right now, if you study the current disasters, you see that happening. So you see coronavirus, disaster for some people who are dying, you know, six figures in the United States, hundreds of thousands of people globally. Um, it's a disaster for them, disaster for their families. Coronavirus is having a heavy impact on, uh, many businesses, um, certain types of businesses. And then all of a sudden, you're one of those people who is in a business that's uh, in an area that's affected by rioting and looting. And now it's just, just triple whammy. Right? There are people out there right now who have lost a loved one due to coronavirus, who have lost huge amounts of business due to, um, due to the lockdowns and the restrictions, and then their front windows have been stoved in by a looter, and now, you know, they're done. And so you see how these, these things add on top of each other. And it's just a sobering reminder, very, very sobering reminder as to how things can go from bad to worse quicker than you imagine. Uh, and, you know, even where we are, an honest accounting. There are a number of ways that things could get much, much worse very quickly. Uh, I, I don't even like to talk about it. I don't like to think about it, but um, it's worth thinking about and talking about. Um, and you've got to be prepared. So fake, stay focused on your basic um, preparations. Have physical security in place. If you're not living in a safe place, get out. You can see right now 
how many disasters can be affected differently by being in a safe place versus not being in a safe place. Um, whether that's simply living in a downtown city, um, which is uh, prone to uh, social unrest versus living out in the country. Even just the experience of a lockdown, I've reflected many times over the past months of how dramatically different the experience of somebody living in downtown Nashville, Tennessee, or downtown Atlanta, or downtown New York City is versus somebody living in a rural area of Tennessee or uh, a rural area of Nebraska or et cetera. It's just night and day in terms of the actual experience of something like that. I'm so grateful having children not to live in a little tiny apartment and such a brutal situation for the the millions of families around the world who have a little apartment that they live in and they got children and everyone's locked down. It's it's really, really tough. So be considerate and thoughtful of of of, of your physical safety. If you live in a place and you're concerned about your physical safety, I'd encourage you to go. Um, you know, this, this comes into play even on a, a broader state level and national level. It would seem to me that with the current social unrest in the United States, it would seem to me that most of the physical safety concerns uh, could be uh, handled by simply staying home. Um, there would be only a few places, I guess, where there would be that much of a risk of, of physical safety, of loss of life, uh, unless you're out and about and involved in a violent incident. But if you simply stay home, uh, the, the physical safety is pretty low. But that could change very quickly. Um, the current tensions, political and racial tensions in the United States, um, certainly very bad, very, very bad right now. But they could get far worse. And there are a couple of things that could that could happen that could just simply set things off. Um, so far, I've been generally appreciative of the amount of uh, restraint and the, and the number of peaceful people as compared to the small number of people um, using the opportunity to be violent and and um, engage in, in violence and theft and killing. Uh, but that could change. Uh, a significant, a small but significant percentage of society is made up of people who just don't care uh, and people who are fundamentally evil and who will use any situation that they can um, to do things that they just feel they can get away with. And so thus far, uh, things have been on the whole uh, about as much as you can expect. Uh, but it could get a lot worse, right? All you need is for, <clears throat> I mean, if, if the if, if the police violence has been bad so far, um, there have been a couple of police officers killed, but all you need is a handful of people to go out and like happened in Dallas a number of years ago. Uh, was that two, uh, 2017, I think, uh, when the guy went out in Dallas and just started killing and shooting police officers. Uh, I mean, Think things are bad now? It would be far worse if 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 some guy goes out and just starts killing people randomly. You know, the police arrested today um, some um, some of the far right violent elements, and all you need is for a few of those guys to slip through, and all of a sudden things could be much much worse. So, um, if you're living in one of those places, if you're living in a big city, have a plan to get out and have a place to go. Um, you'll have to judge the risks locally. It'd be foolish for me to say, uh, get out, right? There's no need for that at this point in time, but, but you better have a plan to get out. I think it's remarkable to watch. One of the things I didn't expect is that, um, I didn't expect the United States of America 
to start to get behind on things like passports. Uh, right now, if you want a new passport, the United States of America, um, unless you can prove to them that it's an emergency, basically you can't get one. You can't get one. Um, and I've been preaching at you for years, feeling like a broken record. Get your passports. Get your passports. Make sure that you and everyone in your family has passports so you can get out. That one little document, that one little piece of paper or a little booklet, I guess I should say, is the thing that opens up the ticket for you to get from one place to another. And you can completely change your circumstances if you go from one place to another with that little passport. But if you can't get that thing, you're you're sunk. And there are so many people around the world. You know, my travels, I run into Venezuelans and so many Venezuelans and, and they're always, they're like, yeah, I'm Venezuelan, but I'm also, you know, Spanish. And I'm, here's my Spanish passport. And this one's I got because my Venezuelan one, I can't get a new one made. Well, to see that in the United States right now, you can still get one, but you have to prove that it's an emergency. So, you know, don't wait around. Um, get that stuff going because, um, you know, countries can close their borders. And if you got to get out, you got to get out. And so you need to have that stuff now. So I would have some bags packed and, and, and have some few different places ready to go and just be watching, uh, because things could get worse. Um, I hope they don't. Uh, so far, some of the worst case fears have not come to pass. Thankfully, for example, there's not been any evidence of, um, bank instability in the United States. I'm grateful for that. There's no, been no runs on the banks in the United States, modest runs in the banks in other places. There's hyperinflation in Lebanon right now. Um, uh, some modest bank runs in, in Argentina, um, bank runs in, in um, Brazil, but very, very modest. And so thankfully, um, thankfully, uh, uh, you know, thankfully, my fears about bank runs have not happened. Uh, and again, thankfully, no no major concerns yet about inflation. But you need to be prepared. The time to be prepared is, is far before you ever need it. What else can you do? Um, I think one of the things that you see right now is the power of community. And um, community is at the core of how you get through something. And so whatever community means to you, invest into your local community. Um, get together with your neighbors. Make sure you get together with your neighbors. If there are various groups that you're involved in, it can be political groups, political action groups, um, whatever it is, be um, – you know, be ready, but be involved in your community, your local church, your, your town, etc. cetera. Uh, those, it's crucial. And there are a lot of people right now who are hurting. There are a lot of people who don't have food. There are a lot of people who are hurting. And so find out about who those people are. If you really want to gain political influence in your community, meet the needs of the people in that community. When a government stops meeting the needs of its people, they're the, 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 the authority of that government quickly disappears where people just aren't willing to, to pay attention. And so um, what do you do? Well, you step in and you meet the needs of that community. So get involved uh, in your local community and seek to build and to, to cultivate community, uh, whatever that means you know, in your, in your local context. Beyond that, there's not a lot that you can do. Um, there's not a lot that you can do. You can do things. You can you know, be an activist. Um, um, write on social media, write articles. There's, of course, a place for that. Uh, and that may have some some effect. Uh, I'm skeptical of the effect. I don't, uh, I don't see a lot of people that are able to effectively persuade other people to their position. But if you've got a tool of persuasion to, to bring people over, then exercise that. Um, exercise that. Um, I think you see right now, 
I'll stop there. I don't know a lot else that you can do uh, except to those things. Work to care for your family, care for your community, uh, work to shore up your personal finances, uh, work to keep your, your income coming in, and then look for opportunity. Look for opportunity in the midst of, of, of crisis. Uh, I know that my tone is not as, as boisterous as it, it usually is. Um, Got to be honest, right? I'm trying to be, try to be honest. I'll try, always try to tell you where I've been wrong, uh, where I think I'm right. But I can't. Uh, it's hard to put on a happy tone and kind of be Mister Optimistic sometimes, as you well know. So um, that's where I think we are. But I hope you're doing well. Uh, I hope that I hope that you're prepared for this current event, and I hope that things will go through there. I'm going to go ahead and re-put into in the light of the the current police. Um, all the police tension. I'm going to go ahead and put again into the podcast feed a replay of the show I did a number of years ago on how to arrest-proof yourself, uh, how to arrest-proof yourself and your children um, so that you don't get arrested. You know, if you are in the process of going out and getting arrested, I I certainly understand. Um, it, it certainly seems that there's there are times that it's worth it to to take a stand for what you believe in and to. Um, get yourself arrested. I would beg of you, though, count the cost. Make sure you're ready to pay the cost. Uh, just the simple act of getting arrested. Uh, if you're engaging in civil disobedience or, or uh, protesting or, or some other form of demonstration, um, I respect you and, and my hat's off to you for sticking to your convictions and, and advocating for the things that you believe, but I would beg you to count the cost. And I would encourage you, one of the things that is such a concern is that one of the practical things, you know, I, I try to find the solutions that work. I try to find the things that are likely to be effective. And if I can find those things, I, I like to share them. And it's deeply frustrating to me when I can't find the common threads um, that will work. But one of the things that does still work in the United States for those who are concerned about tensions with the police, what does work are the things that I talked about in that show on arrest-proofing yourself uh, and your children. It does still work. The rule of law uh, is thankfully still in force. Um, that You still have a number of rights that you can exercise and that you should exercise, you must exercise, and there are a lot of things that you can do um, to protect yourself. And so whether it's um, you know, teaching your neighbors about how to conduct themselves during a traffic stop, uh, teaching your neighbors how to conduct themselves during a... Um, you know, encounters with the police. I teach little classes on it. Um, anytime I can, I try to take someone and say, listen, let's, let's drill you on what you do when you get pulled over, what you don't do, um, what you do if, uh, when you're speaking to the police, what you don't do. And I feel like that's a, a really practical area of advocacy that can uh, really help. So if you listen to that show, um, recorded a number of years ago, but if you listen to that show, I hope it'll help you to take some of the ideas and techniques and teach them to someone else. Um, Thank you for listening.